Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Dr. Bogosh, thank you very much. For the time, and what I want to do is just also for our listeners' benefit, uh, read out the email that I received from a listener that I sent to you. And here's what I received. Ontario's population is 8 million plus. Why such a fuss over 300 or 400 new COVID cases per day? I'm not going to be forced back into my house and watch my ability to make a living destroyed by politicians and bureaucrats I don't trust anyway. I'm not going to be pushed around. I think this is somebody who's saying these numbers are small, you got 8 million people in Ontario, 37 million in, in Canada. Why should I be worried by this? The answer, Dr. Bogosh, to this person and others who feel that way is what? Well, there's, I think there's several points, and none of these points are mutually exclusive. One is that, yeah, of course, nobody wants to go into a lockdown again. That was awful uh, for many reasons, obviously emotional, psychological, but of course, the obvious is financial. I mean, lockdown was terrible. The other point, though, is that we're seeing a rise in cases, 300 to 400 new cases per day in Ontario. That's a problem. And, of course, we have a huge province, geographic, a huge province with a big population as well. You think, well, what the heck? You know, it's just 300 to 400 new cases per day, and it's restricted to Toronto, Peel, and Ottawa. The answer here is it's largely you can't let this virus run unchecked. Uh, even though we know that a lot of these infections are in 20 to 30 year olds who are not going to get that sick, who are going to make a full recovery by and large, with the exception of a few rare exceptions. Uh, we know that this virus is so contagious that it doesn't stay within age cohorts for long and it doesn't stay restricted to a particular geography for long. And there's only dozens and dozens of examples all over the world, actually, including Canada, where we see that if we give it time. We know exactly what it's going to do. We know the playbook. We know how this is going to unfold. And it's already starting to happen here. I'm not here for doom and gloom. I'm not here for fear mongering. It's just these are what's hap- this is what's happening on the ground. It will spread to older age groups. We know the risk of hospitalization and death is greater in older age groups. And it will spread to other geographic locations. It is starting to do that now in Ontario and elsewhere in Canada, primarily BC, Alberta, Ontario and Quebec. Are the provinces, and we know Premier Ford of Ontario issued a fine structure and cut back on the numbers of people who may gather uh, indoors and outdoors. Are the provinces acting quickly enough? Uh, are they using a hammer where they should be using a laser, perhaps? What, what? How do you assess this? It's hard to know. And quite frankly, I think that there's certain things that we can be proactive about. Uh, on the one hand, you know, Premier Ford... Uh, said we're, we're going to restrict these gatherings to 10 indoors and 25 outdoors. We saw doc, uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry, for example, close down banquet halls and make some and uh, and nightclubs and put further restrictions on on bars. So there certainly are measures being taken to help curb this. Uh, yet cases continue to rise. I think we really need to look back and reflect on our fundamental pillars of managing an epidemic. Are we testing enough? Are we testing smartly? Are, is the capacity for testing appropriate and within appropriate turnaround time? 
How's the contact tracing and isolation going? Can we if, per, provide greater efficiencies on that, on that front? What about community engagement? I think we're certainly lacking on that part, and we should be having really engaging community leaders and communities better. What's the communication strategy? Have we really reached everyone that we need to reach with the message? Can we truly change behavior? Are we delivering an age, culture, and language-appropriate message consistently over time? I think if we take a step back and are honest and take a look in the mirror, we can improve on all of these fronts. Yeah, we've had a good summer, weather-wise, and we've uh, in most parts of the country. And uh, we've also had a reasonably good summer as far as COVID numbers are concerned, and maybe we've just become emotionally relaxed. But I looked at some numbers from uh, 100 years ago, and we know that in 1918, the uh, the mass killer was the second wave of H1N1 at that time. 50 million people, maybe 100 million died in that particular pandemic. So um, we have to be really, really concerned about this second wave. I know there are going to be people who will be sending me emails now telling me that I'm I'm, I'm a, an alarm mongerer. But is there any modeling? Is there any sense, uh, Dr. Bogosh, of just how bad a second wave might be in 2020 uh, if it hits us at its worst? Yeah, 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 there's, there certainly is. I think the beautiful thing here is like, first of all, I think there's two points. One is that, yeah, we know that most people who get this infection are going to recover and do well. This is really concerning for people over the age of 60 and for people with underlying medical conditions. And we know it can, it can kill, and it does. And it, and it does time and time again. So that's one thing is we can't, we can't let this run amok or we end up with a New York City, a Houston, a northern Italy, a Wuhan scenario, which, which just stinks and there's an unacceptable number of cases. The second point in terms of the modeling, the beautiful part is that epidemiologic curve, how high those cases get is completely dependent on what we do now and for the few months ahead until we have a vaccine. It really is. And we don't have to see a rapid spike in cases. We can really see a mild grumbling along of cases throughout the fall and the winter, but that's dependent on how we behave as individuals. That's dependent on businesses and organizations providing a safe environment under their roof for employees and for customers or students or whoever's under your roof. And that's also determined by how well the public health units and the government responds in providing the essential resources to provide a, a, a really high quality epidemic response. If we all do our part, we'll do okay. If we don't, we're going to get spanked. This virus is also throwing curves. Uh, we know that. And I spoke yesterday with uh, a lead researcher of a study that was done at the University of Western Ontario, which shows that in younger people, the first symptom of COVID could be a stroke. So uh, is this virus, are we on top of this thing? Are we close to being on top of it? You know, we talk about uh, vaccines. We talk about antibodies potentially being used to uh, to combat it. Do we know what this thing is all about? And are we progressing as quickly as we possibly, well, are we progressing as quickly as we'd like to be in the development of a vaccine? Yeah, I think we obviously have to be humble. and We can't even pretend for a second that we have all the answers. But on the other hand, we know a lot about this virus and what it can do clinically and what it does molecularly and what it does epidemiologically. Like, we know a lot about it now, of course, but of course, our knowledge base is far from perfect. Um, yeah, and even in young people, it can rarely, but still really cause damage, just not that, not that common. Um, from a vaccine front, it's incredible to see the pace of research. And I know people get nervous. They say, well, is this happening too fast? And the answer is, remember, they didn't start from scratch. 
most of these vaccines had more than a decade of a head start using the exact same platforms for other different vaccines, many of which have vaccines that are you know, approved and in wide scale use. Uh, and, and so they really had a head start on this. And, you know, there's dozens of vaccines in human clinical trials right now and some in very advanced human clinical trials. I wouldn't be surprised if we hear about the results of some of these clinical trials. Quite for, I thought we were actually going to hear about them in September, the, the first one. That's not going to happen. But it wouldn't be outlandish if we heard about it in October, maybe November at the earliest. But we'll, we'll see. I, I think we're going to have so, uh, some very successful vaccine research come out in the in the very near future. And, and really, we all know that that's that's the path forward. That's the right. That's the way to get out of this mess that we're in. In the meantime, uh, I know you're going to tell us, and I want to hear from you. People don't want to hear from me, but uh, but we need to take the annual uh, flu shot as well. How important is that? Oh, yeah, great call. Like this is the you know, there's going to be some people every year that say, yeah, of course, I'm getting my flu shot, no big deal. There's other people that no matter what you tell them, they're never going to get their flu shot. I can't help you with that, unfortunately. And then there's going to be some people who you know might do it or wishy washy about it. This is the year, if you're on the fence, this is the year to get the flu shot. You just got to get it this year. Uh, Number one, it reduces your risk of getting the flu. No brainer. Number two, if you do get the flu and you have the flu shot, it reduces your risk of having a severe case. We know the flu kills about 3,000 to 3,500 Canadians per year, kills about half a million people per year globally. So it's it's a bad infection. And the third thing is, hey, not just protecting yourself, but if you're around little kids, your kids, grandkids, parents, grandparents, you protect them by reducing the risk of transmitting to them. And then from especially this year, you really will take the burden off of the acute care system, which is probably going to get pushed a bit with the underlying COVID epidemic we have in Canada. So there's a lot of good reasons to get your flu shot. If you're considering it, but not quite, quite sure, this is the year. You should definitely go get your flu shot this year. Well, I'm going to roll up my sleeve at the very first opportunity, and I tell you something else. I can't wait for the conversation we're going to have when we can talk about COVID-19 in the past. Oh, you and me both. <laughs> for about 8,000 reasons, I cannot wait for that time to come. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.